0: Today we're talking about doubling your income while doubling your time off. You definitely don't want to miss this one, so don't you change that dollar or drop that phone. We're about to level it up and shatter the mold. Question. In a world where groupthink is the norm, others want what you've earned, and thinking for yourself will get a target painted on your back, how do you flip the script and level up your business, your money, relationships, your health, your status, and your life? That is the question, and this podcast will give you the answers. My name is Andrew S. Kaplan, and it's time to shatter the mold. Welcome, welcome, welcome to another episode of Shatter the Mold. Andrew S. Kaplan here. Really, really excited to be here with you today. We've got an unbelievable guest and... Uh, I'm looking forward to this one. You can probably tell by the topic of the show it's going to be very unique. But before we get there, as always, a quick update on the last Law of Attraction book you'll ever need to read. Thank you to everyone who's gotten the book. Thanks to those who've left those five-star rave reviews. And also for those that write in, you know, um, this week in particular, I've been getting some really amazing emails that have, that quite frankly, floored me. I, I'm so excited by the way people are using the content and by the way they're getting a real renewal in their energy and their outlook and i just couldn't be happier so thanks everyone who writes in with that thanks everyone who bought the book, who spread the word, who recommend it to your friends. I really appreciate it. Uh, Anyone listening who has not checked out the book yet, you can easily do so by going to lastlawofattractionbook.com. That'll auto forward to the Amazon listing where you can get it in Kindle or paperback or audiobook if you wish. And if you don't want to pull out your wallet, that's cool. You can check out the YouTube channel that is devoted to the book. And that's at youtube.com slash Andrew Cap. With that said, I'm switching up mics right now. We're going to get straight to our guest. And again, sit tight. This is going to be a really interesting one. Um, Okay, so... Today's guest is um, very unique, we'll put it that way, not not to uh, not to pump him up too much, but I'm going to read two quick things. I'm going to read his Clubhouse profile and his Instagram profile, or, or at least uh, brief bits of it. Clubhouse is helping successful individuals double their income and double their time off in 12 months or less, 100% success rate. Follows it up on Instagram by saying, I help successful people double their income and double their time off in 12 months or less. In parentheses, you wouldn't believe who some of my clients are. Um, Mark's Acosta Rubio. Thank you so much for being here, and welcome to Shatter the Mold. and awesome, awesome intro, I must say.
1: Thank you so very much. Thanks for having me. I look forward to having our chat.
0: Yeah, and you know, usually um, people that listen to the show know that I usually have like this long, drawn-out introduction, which is nothing wrong with that. I actually pride myself on taking someone's bio and working it into this fun thing, where sometimes they're like you know what, can I use that? And like, yeah, go ahead and use it. But what I noticed about you, we were having a brief conversation. I'm like, well, the thing about like Marx is he leverages brevity so well. Why don't I just go off of that? But before even diving into that, I did want to speak to one thing because we were having such a good conversation before the record button hit, so to speak. And I didn't want my audience to miss this part. I was asking you of like, you know, was there anything specific you were interested in talking about today? Um, and even going like the extra mile, like, you know, is there something that we want to make sure that people know about you? And you were answering like, listen, and I'll, I'll kind of like turn it over to you to give your insights. But it's like, listen, there's, there's a certain duplicitous nature that you were looking to avoid by trying, not that I was forcing you into that pigeonhole, but by you didn't, you want to avoid the, the duplicity of like trying to sell them on you. And I guess I'd open by, by, you know, handing it over to you to speak to that and let me know what you think about that.
1: So, you know, so Bruce Lee, when Bruce Lee started teaching martial arts, people don't realize it. Well, they might realize Bruce Lee was, in fact, first a martial artist. And then he was an actor, although he was an actor as a kid in in Hong Kong. But Bruce had this weird thing. If you wanted to teach, if you wanted to learn from him and you came to his class for the first seven days, all you would do is spar. Just spar. And as a new student, you would get your, you know, your booty beat. Right. Because, you know, you had all these guys that are really good. And when they ask Bruce, why do you do that? You can't grow your business that way. Bruce says, I'm not interested in growing my business. I'm interested in finding individuals who will appreciate what I have to share because I want to get the best of the best of the best of the best. And if they can withstand seven days of getting beat up, then I will then say, well, they're worthy of me teaching them. So my philosophy in this kind of stuff is I am not for everybody, obviously, nor do I want to be. And the reason we have a 100% success rate is because those individuals who get attracted to our philosophy are very unique and that they're successful and they want more from life with less and therefore they'll do the work. So the duplicitous nature is that, you know, double income, double time off doesn't mean you're going to become a billionaire unless you want to. Mm. It does mean that we're going to basically chip away at the unessential, find out what is truly there and then allow you to become the best of the best so that you can make as much money as you're capable of making in whatever vehicle you're in. Cause that matters. We talked about vehicles matter. And more importantly, are you going to get as much juice and joy and satisfaction and love from life in your way? And so it's interesting, right? Because you've got sort of this dichotomy between, you know, hard driving, which I don't believe in necessarily, and joy equals work, work equals joy. You can have it all, or what? What we would call la dolce vita, which is a sweet life in Italian. If that makes sense. Mm-hmm.
0: Yeah, <clears throat> you know, it's it's really interesting because hearing you say that, I've and I, lord knows i have a lot to learn still but i know what it's like to struggle but i also know what it's like to hit the sweet spot when when things are clicking and it's to describe to people it isn't like you know i'm not a billionaire myself and um i'm not even a, a multimillionaire right now but it is something where when i hit the sweet spot it's way better than i would have ever would have imagined but in a way that i didn't expect there's an ease or there's an unlocking of things just happening for me. There's things where I didn't even think like I needed it to be this way, but things just unfold. And like, you know, we were talking about before, like my book for some reason has caught fire. I'm being very intentional about going on podcasts myself and telling people about it. But I'm not killing myself doing it. I'm just like going with the flow, and it's just finding its way. And the feeling I get off of you—and you'll correct me if I'm wrong—is part of what you do, whether it's intentional or not. Is you put people in the sweet spot of ease, so that they are just so much more efficient and proficient, which allows them to double their time off while also doubling their income.
1: So, so the answer is yes, and we would call what you're experiencing synchronicity. Mm. But as fufu nunu as it may sound, there's actual laws and principles and techniques and tools that create that to happen. We we believe in effort, not force, and there's a big difference, right? Effort means you know move the chair from one end of the of the you know room to the other. you use effort to move it, but the minute it hits the wall and it can't move, now you're using force. That's just a waste of your time, right? So effort is good, force is bad. But I would also suggest though that struggle is good. Ray Dalio says you have to learn to struggle well. So sometimes that sweet spot contains a struggle and a struggle is good. It's not the struggle in itself is, are you struggling with the right thing in the right way at the right time? You know, are you're engaging with it properly. So it's, it's, it's fascinating because for us, it's all about, you know, how can you make twice as much or more? So you make a lot more money, right? And work half as much. But the real question should be, do you know, that the only way you'll really double your income is by working half as hard as you're working now. That's the real question. Mm. We don't phrase it like that because then people get offended. What do you mean? I'm great, you know, like, no, no, no. If you really want to double your income, the way is to work half as much. And when they go, why is that? And then we'd explain it. Well, here's why. And again, you know, this isn't stuff I made up. This is stuff that I uncovered and experienced and created myself because I am multimillionaire. I'm a decamillionaire, right? So, and I was broke twice. So it's not like I haven't struggled, right? And it took me a long time. So I get it all. But it was our own uncover after we lost our first fortune of how do we double the income and double the time off and we flip the pyramid. So what I would suggest is that the statement you made earlier about struggle versus ease, I'd flip it. What if the struggle is your sweet
0: spot? Mm. Wow. You know, even in that answer, what, what kind of blew my mind is hearing that doubling your time off isn't just the result. It's the way by which you get it. That, that's kind of like a, what I got out of that, which exactly. is amazing. And I imagine then the question becomes like, okay, like, how do I actually do this? What do we chip away at? What do we look at? Like when, when you're working with people, how do you help them find the way to do that? Because I'm sure even for the people that are, are, you know, qualified to work with you, I'm sure there are blocks that you have to knock past for them that they've just built up over time.
1: All the time. In fact, that's the number one pillar is get rid of the mental and otherwise blocks. So let's go back to the first question. There's something called the sigmoid curve. The sigmoid curve looks like, like, it's like a bell curve, and then it sort of drops like that, and then it'll come up like this again. So, you, and there's, there's effort and time. So at the beginning, there's a lot of effort, you know, and not much happening over time. You sort of get this peak in a business, and then it saturates, meaning it hits a peak. And then what happens is, because you keep doing the same thing, the business begins to actually decrease. If you don't involve something new at that peak to start another sigmoid curve, the curve goes down.
2: Hmm.
1: that makes sense so people go oh yeah. i'm hit the sweet spot well you're at that apex at the very top of that curve but if you don't change something you're not going to be in your sweet spot you're gonna have to struggle and, and and that's sort of why working half as much changes and applies to say more curve because when you're working when you get to this peak and you go well how do i double and work half as much you have to insert new things and that new things creates a new upward trajectory so i'll give you an example mm-hmm. i have here, my, one of my favorite tools, actually, it's my second favorite tool. My favorite tool is this, uh, a journal. And you can see back here, I have 38 of these things now. 39. I've been keeping them since I was 22 years old. We can talk about that and how I've created a fortune and done with because journals are the key for my opinion. And not the way people think about journaling. That is not what I'm referring to. Like, dear diary. That's cool, but that's not what I'm referring to. But back to the iPhone. So this is the iPhone 12 why are we not on iPhone one? Why do we have 12 iterations of iPhones? Hmm.
0: Well, <laughs> my brain <laughs> goes to the business of like, well, Apple will make more money <laughs> if they're, if they're reintroducing a revamped version of a product and get people to buy something else.
1: So, so what are they employing?
0: Hmm. Okay. Well, so they're, they're building on a foundation of what they already have, meaning I'm sure they're, they're busting their asses, but there's a lot of what they have to do has already been done. They already have the, the technology for touchscreen, for example, They can improve on it but they have it they already have the user interface they already have the software they can improve it but they have it they already have apps they can tweak them but they have them that's what i'm getting hearing you say that
1: well it's a sigmoid curve right Mm -hmm. iphone 10 peaks iphone 11 comes out iphone 11 peaks iphone 12 comes out right they're using Mm -hmm. the sigmoid curve to generate more revenue now apple is not static in its income it grows and 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 grows right it keeps getting bigger i mean i have the ipad Whatever version of this is, the latest and greatest, right? So, you know, why did do they do that? Well, you know, they would say we're adding more value. It's all true, but it's just that Sigmoid curve. So, Apple continues to create something new to generate more revenues and grow as a company. All successful companies do that. All of them. You, as an individual, should do the exact same thing. Mm-hmm. If you don't, then you're not taking effect of the Sigmoid curve and a bunch of other principles and laws, and hence you'll work the same level or hours, but now your trajectory will come down. The only way to double the income is to do something new. And the only way to do that is to stop working so hard. And the reason is because when you stop working hard, you invoke a few things, Parkinson's law, the Hawthorne effect, the vital few and a few other components that elevate your thinking to a higher level. Cause remember money is ideas. Money is not money. Isn't um, sold products. It's an idea that then creates a product to be sold. If that makes sense. Yeah. So back to the second part of the question, not to, to bogart the, the, podcast but mental blocks so if, if we look at the brain the brain thinks by remembering patterns and the brain is so efficient i mean you drive a car right and i yes. drive a car okay mm-hmm. so i don't have an office because i work from home and but if you know we go to the same market we go to the same thing right and you just sort of drive the thing sometimes your brain will zone out and you're you know and it's an autopilot right my brain's gone been here before know what to do uh you can chill out i'm going to take over so that's the subconscious mind or what we call the reptilian brain, the archiving brain. It thinks like that. So when you learn something, the brain goes, okay, we got it. Now we're going to get continue that same pattern forever and ever. Now that's a problem because if you learned as a kid that you know you weren't worth much money, and you get to a certain amount of money, your subconscious mind goes, Hey, you're not worth much money. Remember that pattern and it sabotages. And it has these components, right? So, or if you learn, you know, that you're afraid of spiders and you're afraid of virus forever, right? Now yeah. it's not a conscious you know, neocortex thing. It's a reptilian thing. So some of those patterns that you've learned are really great and they serve you and they make you a lot of money and make you happy. Some are not so much. So we accentuate those and we eliminate the ones that don't serve you anymore. You know, if you were as a child, learned something that protected you, your amygdala was doing what it's supposed to do. But when that no longer was the case, your mental life needs to stop that and learn something different. So a lot of people become successful, get stuck at a certain level because of these patterns that they're running subconsciously, and we depotentiate those neurons. And then what happens is it's it's almost like like you've been you've been trying to run with a hundred pounds tied and an anchor tied to you. When you unchain that, you can now run really fast. Does that make sense?
0: Yeah, it makes perfect sense. I, and I'm curious hearing you say this. When you're helping people with this, is there a one-size-fits-all that then gets tweaked for each person? Or is each person so different that you've got to attack it from so many different angles, depending on who you're working with?
1: Yes, to both. And, and everybody is unique, right, in their own way. But the principles are the same. And I'll give an example. So we have to create delta waves in the brain after we activate an encoded learning in the amygdala when we do when we activate the memory in the amygdala if we do the right one we activate delta waves it creates glutamate what is it a calcium glutamate which depotentiates that which basically means that it breaks the trigger from the response and you're free from that that behavior right mm-hmm. if you don't know how to get the individual to that position it won't work yeah and how you get them is a, is, is a little bit different in in in, uh, in its effectiveness bruce lee used to say that he wouldn't teach somebody the same martial arts, you know, you might be tall and limber, so we're going to teach you head kicks. Somebody might be short and tight, we'll teach you knee kicks, right? They should all learn knee kicks and head kicks, but the way you play the game and the combat of arts is different, which when you look at the UFC, you've got different fighters and different styles, they all know how to punch, jab, cross, hook, uppercut, overhand, and weave, right, all that stuff but it's a little bit different. Why is it different? Because their makeup is different. The principles are the same, but how they get to apply them differs. Does that answer the question?
0: Yeah. Well, you know, and I don't know whether um, this is intentional or it's just, you know, your way of being there. There's an air, and I mean this in a good way, by the way, there's an air of mystery to what you do. So it makes me wonder like, well, is Mark's walking them through guided meditations? Are they listening to subliminals or are they going through therapy sessions? Like what, what's he doing or what does he employ? to jar the nonsense loose, so to speak. That's what I find myself like wondering as I speak with you.
1: Good, well, I'm glad, I'm glad you're wondering that because that's a good thing to wonder. So, so the answer is I don't do guided meditation. I don't do that new, new, foo-foo stuff, right? If you look at my, and I'll tell you what I do do. Do do, ha If you look at my, at my history, right? I was, you know, I dropped out of law school. I, was, I didn't want to be an attorney, but I grew up in the martial arts world as evidenced by my metaphors and analogies of Bruce Lee and these guys. And I didn't care personally. This is just my own style at the time. I just wanted to be a great fighter. I didn't care what they called the, the you know, the, the Mu-Jung dummy, or they called the, you know, Bao Geotech and you know, all this. Stuff. I didn't care. And I didn't like the flowery stuff. You know, 10,000 was it just none of that appealed to me. Because I knew, and I grew up, you know, and in in, in, I grew up with some fights around me, right? I knew that real-life combat was very different. And I think it's Bruce Lee that said, Truth is found in combat. It might have been somebody else, might have been Mushashi, I don't remember, but I, I believe that truth is found in combat. So, what does that mean? That means that the only thing I care about is what works in the real world. What is utilitarian? What can we actually employ verifiably through science and experience, both that works? And then we say, okay, great, how do we then apply this to you? So, Bruce had this thing where he wanted to be so good at the, what he calls the BOJ, which is the iJab, mm-hmm. that it didn't matter. Who was in front of him, he would be so fast and so accurate, he could eye jab him, and that would that would nullify the opponent. No need for punching, kicking, grappling, none of that stuff, just eye jab. And if you ever watch the UFC where somebody gets an unintentional eye poke, it almost ends the fight instantaneously. Yeah. But Bruce was right. Now, you know, Bruce was not about these flower movies, about economy of motion, you know, the shortest distance between, you know, two points of a straight line, whatever have you. So what we look for in focal point is how do we get you to shut all that nonsense. So you can focus on the vital few things that will have the biggest impact. What is your eye jab? You know, what is that? that, that, Where do we put the X, the focal point? Where, if we focus on that issue in your health, your finance, your investment, your career relationships, right? All the seven areas that you focus on, how do we put and keep you focused on that? And then it's what's standing in the way, what's the bottleneck? What's the, you know, what are the issues that we have to get out of your way for you to achieve that metric in those areas? So what we do, for example, when somebody because I, I listen and I watch very intently and I look at your eyes and I look at your physiology and where your subconscious tells me and I listen to what you're not saying now I'm, i have a bazillion years in training and hypnosis and NLP and havening and all these other technologies right so I get to cheat in that way and then I go okay cool and then I hypothesize if you know if we could just get rid of this or change this over here will he or she achieve this outcome and then we you know we play around with it and then I go okay cool let's get rid of that and see what happens. And then we we verify, you know, hey, yes, it did work. It didn't work. And so I, I'm i unique in that respect because I don't care about what, what modality I'm using, per se. I care about, you know, in the sparring of you with your life, with your world, are you defeating those opponents and enjoying the journey?
2: Mm-hmm. And if we
1: can find out really easily, meaning, you know, what's the what's your hourly rate? Is it doubled? And, you know, how much time you've taken off? Is that doubled? Now, we cheat with the time off. That's pretty easy to do. So it depends, but we do have ten things. You know, we go through lifestyle, <clears throat> we go through productivity, <clears throat> we go through contribution, we go through growth, we go through health and finance and investment. But the very first thing we do now, we don't tell this because it's not very sexy. It's we eliminate the roadblocks both mentally and otherwise. And sometimes, and now I'm being verbose. I apologize. Sometimes it's we have to literally depotentiate those neurons in, in the in the amygdala. But sometimes it's just a shift. Mm-hmm in perspective and seeing it somewhere different. But what I look for, what I care about, there's only one thing I care about is your emotions or your behavior. That's it. I don't care if, you know, you go, wow, Marx is so brilliant. He's so smart. He's so none of that matters to me at all. I just care, you know, have we modified your beliefs to modify your behavior so you feel better and different? If we've achieved that, then the rest is easy. Because I can tell you, here's my system. But if your ass doesn't believe it, it's not going to help.
0: Right, right. You know, real real quick uh, side note, you said, hey, it may not be sexy, but we work on these blocks first. To me, like, oh, my God, that's the sexiest thing, right? Because my brain's saying, well, once that's out of the way, anything you do is going to be such an accelerator. So I, I mean, I love hearing that. I'm sure I would imagine people in my audience also love hearing that. And uh, that's really cool now. What I'm very curious about, is like, what got you here? Like, what made you go down this road to, to level? I mean, obviously, you know, your level, uh, I don't know if you'd use these words, but you're at the level of mastery. And there's been so much experience and so much behind this. Like, what got you on this path and also what kept you on it?
1: Great question. So, you know, I, I, when I was a little kid, my dad was a mobster. And my mom is a lesbian. And at one point, she was a drug addict. But she's not a drug addict, but she's still a lesbian because, you know, it's genetics. I right? can't change that. And, you know, my mom and dad married in the 60s and they're from Venezuela. My dad was Cuban. My dad found the Bay of Pigs. He's now deceased. He found Bay of Pigs. So, you know, this is a, it's a different era, right? South America. They, she writes to him in jail because my, my dad's older brother married my mom's aunt. So they connected and, and when they fell in love, they got married. My brother was born. I was born. Then around the age of four or five, my mom left my dad. My dad kidnapped me and my brother, which is really interesting because wow. she was doing drugs and, you know, all kinds of crazy stuff. And then she fled the country in 1977, brought my brother and I here. In 1978, back to California, when California was an amazing state. The weather's still great, but the politics are now terrible because you can't do anything anymore. It's horrible. We loved it. We just sold our house a few months ago. Anyway, so we grew up in the the Palisades. My mom always kept saying, your dad doesn't love you because he doesn't send you any money. (laughs) Now, my dad was sending money, but he wasn't sending a fortune. Sending you know whatever he could afford at the time. So I learned what? I learned if I want my mom's love, what do I have to do?
0: Got to provide the money.
1: Got to make a lot of money. So I set out to become a millionaire. So if I become rich, I can provide for my mom. I can, I can get her love. In fact, everybody will love me because I'll have money to give to everybody, right? So that's right. So, so that got me on this. Talking about, about learnings and patterns, right? But I sucked at school. I mean, I was terrible, dude. Terrible. And so one day in, in, I think it was seventh or eighth grade, there was a career fair. Long story short, the three professions that made the most money were accountant, attorney, and doctor. Well, I was not going to be a doctor too much schooling. I hated numbers because so I could barely add two numbers together. Although I found that later, if I put dollar signs in front of them, I could do it in my head like that, which is mm. really interesting.
0: Isn't that interesting? Uh, isn't that interesting?
1: <laughs> and, and let's go be an attorney. So, you know, went to college, did okay, got involved in martial arts early at, at age 16, thank God, went to law school, was miserable, dropped out. In that process, in search for money, I, I accidentally found out about guys like Jim Rohn, and Tony Robbins, and Richard Bandler, and John Grinder. And I began to get fascinated by that. So I got into an industry that was uh, by accident, but I used the technology to get my sales guys to become the best salespeople in that industry. Does that make sense?
0: Yeah, that makes so sense.
1: I taught him language patterns, and I developed all kinds of stuff. And so I just consumed information because I wanted to be rich. But here's what happened. And here's, I think, the answer to your question. By age 31, I was I was unemployed by I got fired at 28, was a million by age 31, was a dec decamillion by age 34, was broke by age 38. Wow. But here's the interesting piece. Why do you think I went broke?
0: The only thing I can make, and I barely know you, is there's some kind of self-destructive pattern in there that was throwing you back to zero that you couldn't accept the level of success.
1: Pretty much exactly right. So I, so you know, one of my mentors said, "You're only two or three moves away from greatness, not a hundred. Only two or three, greatness or disaster." Mm. And he was right. I, it took me three moves to go from hero to zero like that. I mean, I went from making a quarter million dollars a month to losing a quarter million dollars a month. That's a half million dollar swing in one month, right?
0: It goes fast in that rate, right?
1: It goes fast. And here's what I remember. I was driving down to, I, we had this beautiful, we had this beautiful, gorgeous house top of a hill, right? We had an airplane, a condo in Mammoth, we had this big office. I'd been reading newspapers and, I, you know, magazines and, and, you know, all kinds of, I was like this, this wonder boy. And I'm driving down in my custom-made CLS 55 AMG Mercedes. Beautiful black car, black on black, just gorgeous. The engine just wore, oh, it was just amazing, right? Great car. And I'm headed to the office and I asked myself, Where the F is my ticker tape parade? I'm a millionaire multiple times over. I've got a beautiful wife, three great kids, a house, a business. I've been in newspapers. Why am I miserable? Mm. Why am I not being (laughs) applauded and clapped? And that was the beginning of the end of that cycle for me. I went in and just, I did everything you could, you know, I didn't do drugs. Thank God. But everything else you could possibly imagine. I mean, I can tell you stories that would just make you go, what were you thinking? And and just lost it all except for wife, kids, house, and car. Everything else is gone. Employees betrayed me, they stole from me. I mean, the, you know, dude, I could it's a horrible story. And then I was licking my wounds, going, This blows. And then I thought this was a worse thinking. Was I lucky? Mm. Did I was this just one of those things? You know, what what why? Why am I a failure now? Like what the freak happened?
0: Yeah. And and to really cut you off real quick. When you asked that question, that's another way of saying, was well, this dumb luck meaning I could never get back here? That's
1: exactly what it was. It is, it, it is exactly right. And part of said, you know, I'm tired. Can I curse on your podcast? Yeah, please. Go okay. for okay. it. I was like, fuck it. Like, I'm tired. I'm done. I'm just going to get a job at McDonald's. So sure to God. I was like, you know, I'll just, we'll just move to a small little place. We'll sell the house. You know, like I had, I had in my mind almost given up to be like, you know what? This is just too much work. I got betrayed, you know, my people who were there, my friends of mine betrayed me, the, you know, it goes on and on, and, I, and the pain was emotional, it was terrible, right, and I just said, fuck it, I'm done, like, I, I was going to resign, but something in me just was like, no, man, like, you know, you believe in these things, you believe in all this stuff you've read, you believe in the journals you have, like, 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 you can do this, and so little by little, I went back through every single journal I had, that I kept meticulous notes, and I was like, what did I do right, and how did I screw that up? and I started, I started extracting Well, I did this right, not techniques, but principles of laws, right, like, you know, I applied like the law of gravity, I applied this law that worked out for me, so I made a list of all the things I thought I had done that made me rich and things I had thought I had done that made me a failure, and not just in the sense of income, but as a husband, because I had failed in that too, right, as a father, I failed in that too, right, so all these, you know, like, what when I was a good husband, what was I doing, when I was a bad husband, what was I doing, right, like, you know, like, I was an asshole to my wife. Why the fuck would I do that? Like, you know, like, so I, I made a list. I still have the list of all these things. And then I said, okay, I'm gonna get back to work. And I'm just, I started working, pounding the phones, you know, whatever, having just working hard as I could. And nothing was happening, dude. Absolutely nothing. Hmm. And I was like, hitting my head against the wall.
0: It's like, and this is I, on my list. Why is this not working?
1: Right. It's exactly right. And I'm like, you know, and, and, and the answer. And I was working 14, 15, 16, sometimes 20 hours a day, seven days a week, right? I was, I was, I mean, I was, I was never someone for not working hard. I was always a hard worker, right? You would never say Marx is lazy. I, I worked hard. And one day my wife comes over and we can't pay the mortgage, nothing, right? And there's more to the story, but I don't want to, you know, bore the audience with it. But so one day she comes over and she's like, what if you did the opposite of everything you're doing? Because whatever <laughs> you're doing isn't working.
0: The, the old George Costanza, right? <laughs> exactly. Exactly.
1: Sorry now. So I thought, and I don't know if she meant it literally at the time. She said she meant it literally now, but you know, who knows? She meant it literally. And I thought to myself, what the fuck? What if I do that? Like what I've got to lose. I've got i I'm not making any money. I can't pay my bills. I'm about to lose everything, right? I mean, I'm in trouble with the mortgage, everything, right? And you know, and 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 my kids, private school are, are begging me for the money, I'm making the money. And I thought, well, what if I do it literally? And somebody just said, give it a go. So I, I, I went backwards and I said, what, what do I value? And this was interesting. This is part of our process. So when somebody joins up, up to Focal board, we give them a 63-page intake form. And in those intake forms are some of these, yeah, it's, it's heavy-duty, dude, which is amazing. There's some of these questions that I went through that I asked myself, right? And one of them was, what do I really value? Not what do I say I value because I want you to like me, But what do Mm -hmm. I really value?
0: Like what What, what am I, not what I'm supposed to value according to what I've been told my whole life. What do I actually in this moment, truly authentically value?
1: hundred percent, right? And it wasn't what I thought it was. Mm -hmm. And I was like, ooh, this is kind of scary. Like, do I really value that over this? Holy fuck. And the answer is like, and I was like, just be honest. You know, no one's going to see this. Just be honest. And the answer is, yeah, I value that more than anything else. You know, so I thought that's really interesting. And then one of the things that I valued that was number one was freedom. It wasn't my wife, my kids, it was freedom. Now, my kids are the most important thing to me. But in terms of values, freedom is number one for me. I thought, that's interesting. And, you know, people will say, well, you know, you should value others. Like, okay, that's cool. But that's not what I really value, right? That's not what genetically I'm encoded for.
2: Yeah. So I made
1: a list of what I truly, truly value. And then I thought, why am I working so hard? why would i care so much well i'm afraid i'm afraid of losing the house the wife the kids you know afraid of being ridiculed even more all these things what if i stopped that what if i just didn't care anymore so i went okay cool so i flipped it and guess what came up first not money what came up for me first
0: mm, um, <laughs> i don't know happiness popped in my mind it's like it's gonna be different than happiness but I don't know that, it, it
1: was lifestyle mm. which is happiness Right. Which is like, you know, what do I when, when was I the happiest when I was growing the company? When was I the happiest when I was learning martial arts and getting beat up? Right. When is that happiest? I was all these things. Right. It wasn't when I achieved it. It's a journey, but it's a cliche.
0: Yeah.
1: I thought Lifestyle, like, what, more
0: lifestyle not as in high roller, but lifestyle is in how am I actually living my life in, in court in, in congruence with who I am?
1: What makes me happy?
0: Mm-hmm.
1: I mean, what makes me happy? Right. So I thought, OK, cool. So what makes me happy? I, was like, well, what makes it, well, I like really nice things. I like high class, right? I, I've, I have a Picasso and I've got, you know, I like art. I like nice things. They cost money. Okay, cool. Got it. Love to travel. Love to travel. But I like to travel first class. I hate sitting in the back. All crunched up. I like to travel first class. I like being catered to. I like being taken care of, right? And these are not popular things people will admit to, but I do. You know, I like, I like going to a restaurant and going, oh, it's Mark's. Come and we get your table for you. Call me shallow, don't give a fuck. It's just what I like, right? It's what makes me happy. I like not having a schedule. I like not being employed, right? So, I, you know, I, I, all these things that I truly like, that I valued, that generally made me happy. And I thought, okay, cool. And then I said to my wife, because we had had a huge argument the night before. And then I so the next day, so I have this. So she argued, she throws this milk. She was just, I was being, it was me. I was being such an asshole, right? I was, I was, the, I was lonely and sad and angry of all the stuff that had happened. She throws this milkshake at me, and I laugh. And i thought like, that was a bad thing to do, to, to laugh at her milkshake throwing. So then the next morning, she's taking a pee, and I woke up, and I go, I said, hey, baby, do you want to do something crazy that we shouldn't do that we can't afford? And she's like, yeah, because she's amazing. And I was like, let's go to Europe. This is now uh, 2008. Mm. Let's, we're broke as fuck right now. Like, we have no money, right? And we're living off credit cards, literally living off credit cards. And she goes, well, how are we do that? I said, look, I've got a ton of points. On the, we've got a ton of points in the Amex, We'll have, you'll go get the 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 seeds for the Amex. And then we'll just, we'll put on credit cards. We'll just, let's just get out of here. Let's just go clear our heads. And not those exact words, but pretty much. She goes, okay, great. So we go to Italy. It was almost amazing. Just to us two. My mom babysat our kids. This was a billion years ago. We go have a great time. And then we're sitting in this place and where this is now Venice, uh, Venice, Italy. And we're staying at this beautiful hotel, all credit cards, right? I'm like, and I'm thinking, half time I'm like totally present. Half time I'm going, how am I going to pay for this, Right. So we go there and we go, hey, we want to have a really nice dinner. Now we don't drink. We've never been drinkers. We just don't drink. We tried it. It wasn't our thing. And the guy goes, oh, you know, go here. I said, no, no. We don't want to go to the touristy place. I want you to tell me what the best meal is for the locals. And the guy goes, okay. Takes the map, flips it over, draws the streets because they're on the tiny, if you've been to Venice or tiny little streets. He goes, you do the here, make a left, make a right. And they go there. So we go to this lady. She's got three tables in this tiny little restaurant across the street of this tiny little uh, street and this little ex ray is her husband, but they don't work together because they can't stand each other during work. They live together, but they can't stand. <laughs> so we walk in. There's nobody there, just her and the chef. And we sit down and we say, uh, "Hey, you know, w- we want to have this amazing, authentic Italian meal. We heard you're the best." She goes, "Oh, my friend, the molto grazie, molto grazie." I say great. Say so my wife orders, and I go, "Just be whatever you want." He goes, "Ah, molto bene." But if I bring you what I think you should eat, you have to drink this bottle of wine. And I was like, I don't drink. My husband, she said, it doesn't matter. You either eat my food or drink my wine or you get out. I said, well, we'll eat your fucking food. and We'll drink your wine. Okay? <laughs> so, <laughs> so she drinks this like squid pasta. It was, it was an, an incredible meal. And we drank a bottle of champagne, not champagne, of wine. We both got totally drunk because we don't drink. But here's what I asked my wife. I said, what are your dreams? What do you want from life? And my wife is not a talker. She's just, you know, she's, you know she'll say two or three words and that's about it. She spent two hours just spewing out everything she wanted in life. Now, we've been together since we were 18 years old. Now we're, at the time, 38, right? 20 years. I had never heard of this stuff. I've never heard 20 years. Never heard of it. Just spews and spews and spews and just, and, and, and all these things. She wants to go to this place and do this and do all these things. And yeah. You know, and I was like, wow. So I made it that night. I made it a point to make the rest of my life a purpose of achieving her desired outcomes, meaning you know, I'm going to make all her dreams come true. And some are really big, some are really tiny. So when I got back, we got back, she was saying, and everything changed for me. I put lifestyle first, which means I refuse to work more than five hours a day. I had read, and it's still true to this day because it came out again, that people really will only work five hours a day. After that, it's just a waste of time. And I said, I'm going to put hanging out with the kids and hanging out with the wife and being at home and having my time and, you know, going to work out and go to jiu-jitsu. I'm going to put all that first. And I'll make the money, if it's meant to be now that was sort of the philosophy but i said i'm going to be smart about it i'm going to look at all these principles and all these rules and all these techniques and all these things i'm going to try really hard to find what little levers i can turn a tiny bit that give me a huge result hmm. so i started writing everything i was doing down and if it didn't give me asymmetrical that is five time return on my investment of time and money back i crossed it out and just wouldn't do it and that developed and took us two years And then we started making a lot more money. In fact, we made twice as much money in half the time in many different aspects, different deals here and there, whatever have you, right? And then I got into coaching by accident because one, my buddy said, hey, man, you know, he was pretty successful. He goes, would you coach me? And I was like, "Mm, I don't know, man. I mean, I'm kind of just, you know, doing my own thing. He goes, look, I'll pay you. Just teach me what you're doing yourself. And I did. I taught him for 12 months and nothing happened. He didn't make an extra dollar. It was Terry was paid me a lot of money at the time, too. And I was like, dude, stop paying me. Just stop paying me. He's like, I believe in you. I know I believe in you. And I taught him. One of the things we haven't talked about is how to turn a company into a great company. Right? There's a saga, symbols, rituals, magic, and code of conduct. And we employ those components, right? And there's a lot of other pieces that we do uh, in the coaching program that really help. And why a saga? And then there's a BBR formula, belief, behavior, results formula. There's all these other like, cool things we haven't chatting about because I know we're limited in time. But I taught him all this stuff, right? I taught him, you know, the, the, the four aspects of a CEO. You know, actually three, at the time it was three. Chief strategist, chief team builder, and chief sales officer. And no matter what I taught him, nothing, nothing. And then one day we're having a conversation and, and I always told him, just stop paying me because it's not fucking working. Like, you know, like I make enough money and you make enough money, but I, you know, goes, no, 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 man, I need the help. I need help. And he liked talking to me. So he enjoyed the conversation, but it was a very expensive conversation for him. Anyway, so I said, dude, let's run you. through so something that I ran myself in when I came back from Italy, I called the V2GPR2. Now it's V2GPR3. Vision, values, goals, principle, price, and now there's promise, right? So before it was vision, you know, price and, uh, principles and price, now it's prison, price, and promise. And I said, what's your vision? What's your values? What's your vision? What's your goals? What's your principle? Are you willing to pay the price? And he stopped and he goes, no. And that's when I had that light bulb switch, that mindset was the number one thing we had to work on, not the other things. So I changed the role of the CEO from strategy team building and sales to mindset team building strategy and sales or strategy team building and sales. And that's when I said, okay, well, hold on a second. I went through a pretty laborious process with myself to give it a ball to crap. Let's see if that helps you. And I was afraid to share with him because I thought, you know, he's healthy, happy guy. He wasn't fucked up like I was. So, you know, (laughs) but as soon as we did that, all the other things we had talked about, you know, how to set the proper saga for your company and yourself, you know, the code of conduct, the vision, the values, you know, the the, the The symbols, the rituals, the magic, you know all the signal curve, all these hawthorne effect the, the key metrics, all these things that we had employed as organization, they all began to miraculously work, Wow, only because he was the bottleneck, just like you and I are still the bottleneck for our growth so i don't know if that answered your question but
0: and, and then some, and okay. you know you sometimes when a guest gives me like this this long answer. I do my best to recap and pull out the nuggets, but I just tell my, like when this interview is done, everyone go back and listen, because there is so much there. And what I love about it, I've said this to someone else recently, but I'm going to say it about you. And I, again, I mean this in the best way <laughs> through this process, with what you did for yourself. What I get is you were unapologetic about it. You're like, this is, listen, I'm I'm probably going to say things that someone wouldn't want to hear, I'm probably going to view myself differently through all this, but I'm going to look really close and really deep because fuck it. Nothing else is working before it. And I have a choice. I can either look hard on this or I can let my ego control me and avoid it and spiral further down into the abyss and not get something out of this. And I love, by the way, how you intuitively, it seems, reverse engineered what worked for you and just plugged the pieces in. And also, I love how apparently you didn't even stop there. You found ways of systematizing this and finding ways to, to organize the information. Because if you're going to coach, if you're leaning that way, I'm assuming you got such a good result with this. He told his friends, you put yourself out there you're like, okay, this is working. It seems to me like you iterated and you modified and you worked and you've built up this system that was already perfect in its own way with you, but not perfectly articulated until you worked it through these people. That's what I'm getting out of you, which I want to convey to the audience because there's so much they can learn through that lesson alone.
1: Very, very well said. So, you know, the interesting aspect is when I started my first company, my first successful company, because I had a few that failed early, one of the reasons our sales guys and gals outsold the competition is because I told them exactly what to say, when to say it, how to say it, and I had a flow chart. Start here. If you don't pass this box, you can't go to the second one. If they say this, go here. If yes, no. So it's like a little, like a, Electric schematic. Mm-hmm. And I systematized that because the only way to scale was to make it so that, you know, like IBM did it, NCR did it, right? You know, it wasn't that I invented, I was able to extrapolate and say, look, forget you think you're gonna sell and teach you exactly what to do and how to do it. And this came from W. Clement Stone also in his book, The Success of the Never Fails, how he trod his sales guy's insurance. So we systematized that. So when I got into coaching, which was not my full-time thing, because I was still running my businesses and companies. I sort of did it just to help people. I said, well, I want to make sure that I systematize it for them as well so that we know that the outcome is predictable. When this, then this. When this, then this. When this, then this. If they don't understand this, they can't go over here. I don't care what they tell me. It's just not going to work. You know, it's, I, it, there is a syntax to it, right? And the whole, the whole NLP, you know, the dog bit Johnny or Johnny bit the dog, same words, different syntax. It makes a very different meaning. So the syntax in which we put it in is, is very, 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 very critical. Also, remember that I come from a, the world of martial arts when I was taught that all in the matter was what was effective and what worked, and the individual was better than the style, mm. right? So the style was such a roadmap, but the individual had to be, it had to be customized for the individual. But what mattered is the results you get. So if I share X, Y, and Z, you don't get results, and either something's wrong, either what I'm sharing doesn't work, or you're not applying it. So it's a, it's a pretty binary and easy thing to solve. But the yeah. good news is, because others have succeeded on it, we now know that the issue isn't in the system, but it's in the individual. So, what's stopping that individual? And we'll do, you know, we'll do some zero-sum based thinking and things of that nature to change it. But back to your originality, your your uh, the comment that you made about unapologetic and ego. So, I think I've told the story of the samurai. Have you heard me tell the story of the samurai?
0: Um, I don't believe so. Okay. Yeah. Do you mind if I, mean, I tell quick, it? quick disclaimer for everyone listening? I I heard. Mark's in one conversation on Clubhouse, and I'm like, I've got to get this guy in my show and share him with my audience. So except for the pre-conversation we had with this, my only um, experience of you is you talking on an hour on Clubhouse. So I don't believe I remember the, uh, the samurai story.
2: Got it.
1: So the samurais were undefeated until the Tommy gun. Remember the Tommy gun? They crank it, right? And samurai, you know, they, you can't beat a bullet. It's a little new technology. But why were the samurais undefeated? In every battle before the Tommy gun. Do you know?
0: I mean, (laughs) the the only thing I can think of is with the same tools, they were just more efficient and they did what worked on that level.
1: So they were more, they were undefeated because they all died before going to battle.
0: Mm, Okay.
1: How then do you beat a man who's already dead? That means he has no fear. If he has no fear, he can unhook himself from the ego and perform his duty at his best. So to be the best CEO, to be the best entrepreneur, to be the best whatever, you must become a samurai and have no fear. Now, let me explain how they did it. and explain to you how you can do it so we don't just leave the audience going, what the fuck does he mean? <laughs> it's like, so, oh know
0: we're out of time, right? <laughs> right. Thank you very much for the day.
1: So the... So the samurais, you know, they, they would defend the land, right, of the landowners. So, you know, they knew battle was coming. So in the days ago, we got to go fight. Mm-hmm. So they live with their, with their spouses and their kids. So they would then give away their possessions, and the spouse and the kids would bury them. They would literally bury the possessions and, like, it would have a burial. And he's sitting there watching his wife and kids mourn the death because he may not come back. So they became invisible at that point in time, right? Like they just weren't there anymore. They ignored it until they fought the battle. So you see your kids bawling, and you see your wife bawling, and you see your possessions, and and you come to realization that sometimes samurais don't come back, right? Sometimes they die in battle, and they had this honor where like I may not come back, I'm already dead. My I see my wife grieving. I attend my own funeral, kind of thing. Fuck it. So when they go to battle, they have nothing to lose. When you have nothing to lose. It allows you to be your genuine, true self, right? As Bobby Carlos said, you know, the self-made man, whatever that is for your version of you. Now you see this very often, in people who are already wealthy, you may think they're dicks or, or bitches or whatever. You may not like them, you know, they may not be the best people, but they're ba- they're genuine themselves because they don't have a fear of losing those components. Mm. So that is how you. And 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 if you now they might have a fear as a CEO, might have a fear of something else, but the way to really grow, and I think. Jim Collins on on this book, Good to Great, called Level Five Leadership. And he kind of almost got it right, kind of. But it's really about unhooking that ego. So you make the decisions that are best for the organization and for those around you based on what is best, not what affects you personally. Remember Ken Starr and Enron? You know, he Mm -hmm. got, remember he died of a heart attack?
0: That I didn't remember.
1: It was a young guy that died of a heart attack. Why died of a heart attack? Because his ego couldn't take it. So his body killed him. Hmm. Right? I mean, it, it just, he couldn't stand the shame. Right. Which is what you were all afraid of shame, shame, shame. So how do we do this in organization? So when I came back and I said, screw it, I just, I don't want to have an ego anymore. I don't want to pretend to be something I'm not. I don't want to pretend to care for something I don't care about. Like if I don't like that person, I don't want to pretend to like him just because it does business for me.
2: Mm-hmm.
1: Right. So that was, so that was very liberating. And it, in the beginning it was almost scary because, you know, gee, I, I need that client. But I was like, no, 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 Marks. That's fear talking. Put your values first. That client's a big pain in the ass. They don't make you a lot of money. And you know what? You said you value freedom more than that. So are you going to honor what you wrote down or are you going to pretend again? Nope, got to go. Very scary. Got to have that ego going. And then I thought to myself, okay, if that's true, meaning if I value that more than anything else, but I still want to make all this money, how do I do that? And the way to unhook the ego in our business world is to create a saga. And the saga is language that inspires action for strategic results. And when you create a saga, that's something bigger than you, that drives you to not worry about yourself because you're doing a saga. So for me, for example, my saga now is, I want to make sure that I share all that I've learned and still share with people to double their income or double their time off because it's a metaphor. Yeah, you'll get there, but it's a metaphor to unhook you from all the baloney so you can make the money you want to make, whatever that is, and live the life you want to live. Not without struggle, not without challenges, but in your terms, in your way, because that's sort of what we did. So when we employ a saga and a company personally, that changes the belief system. And then we create a code of conduct as to how you're going to behave. And then that changes the behavior, which then changes
0: the results. We, we've we've gone down. I remember to said, I have a hunch, we'll go an extra 10 or 15 minutes. So here we are just because I'm loving this conversation. Right. Um, Mark, thank you so much. So one thing just to sneak in, um, well, actually I'll have two questions and they may have been, being at the same answer. Well, first, um, based on all the conversations we've had here, you're probably inspired to, you know, just wherever we're on a line of thought, is there something you think you'd want to share with my audience? An insight, advice, anything that you haven't yet through this conversation, but you're like, this is the thing that's big and I want to share it with people.
1: Yes. Most success principles are counterintuitive. mm. They're not what you think they are. Like, I uncovered that, you know, only way to double my income, I actually make, I thought I was broke, so I was making no money, I was negative, was to work less. Now, you got to be smart about it, right? I, you know, don't take it as a blanket statement and then go screw it up. Like, you do need to be, you need to fear the void. The void is what we all are scared of, which is this sort of, you know, empty space where there's nothing to do. That's where we become workaholics and we, you know, get busy and we do stupid stuff about something. So but the principle one is it's, it's counterintuitive. And the second thing is, if you are afraid and you, and you're honest with yourself, you know, and by the way, people who say they're not afraid are the most fearful people, mm. right? They're, you know, like, I have no fear. Then you're fucking a coward. There's no doubt about it. Right.
0: Yeah, you're so scared. You're scared to face that. You've had fear, right? Yeah,
1: exactly. Fear is a healthy thing. We all have fears, right? I mean, you know, everybody's afraid of stuff. It just, you know, it, don't let it rule your life. But if you're afraid to take a step and if you don't believe you can double your income or double your time off, but you have this little nagging voice inside that says, man, intuitively i feel it's right then you're the kind of person that i want to talk to whether or not we do business together i still want to encourage you send you in the right direction because you know i we're, we we cannot do this for everybody it just it's impossible right not everybody i don't believe anybody can achieve their dreams and it's like, there's there's that's that's bullshit like i don't like i've met enough people that there's a lot of losers in this world and they're going to be losers for the rest of their lives and just losers It's just sort of is what it is and that this whole thing they basically a special gift it's bullshit mm-hmm. i don't believe any of that if you believe it and you have results to show for you, you are unique and different, that is, you're not stuck in a nine to five job or things of nature, then you probably are that few, you know, three, four, five percent That's why I aspire to. The reason we have hundred percent success rate is we pick those people who say, man, I don't believe you. This is bullshit, but I'm willing to give it a go. Because if what you say is true, I'll take, I'll, be, I'll do the work and I'll make the effort. That's when we succeed. If somebody, if we don't convince anybody, obviously, right? Because, that's a, that's a fucking losing proposition, right?
0: Yeah. We find thank, thank for, for disaster.
1: It's a hundred percent. Like Bruce Lee, we find people, oh, you want to learn from me? Great. Come and work out for seven days and spar. And if you can last seven days, then I'll show you what I know. And then you could take it to the next level.
2: Mm.
1: You know, Bruce was one last story about Bruce. And you can ask him a question if you want. So Bruce, you know, we saw him as a movie theater was just this gorgeous human being and, you know, super fast whole thing, but in real fights, he would play. He would, you know, play around and he'd kick. But in real fight, when it came down to it, he would just, he had one mode. And that was what they called the Jig Jinjo, which was a straight blast. He would just throw these rapid punches, sweep the guy, hit him down, stomp on him, and then, you know, kill him if he had to. And every time we'll turn it from, you know, like playing around to a real fight, that's what he went to. He had one mode and one mode only. And he was so good at entering that range and just lambasting the individual and throwing him down that he never lost a fight. Well, you are like that, I'm like that. When it all comes down to it, we have one thing, our core strength, what makes us unique and better than everybody else. And if we employ that, we can get the results much quicker and much faster. And you may or may not know what it is, but we'll help you unveil that and show you what it is and they help you apply it so you increase your income. Some people do it by three, four, five, tenfold. You know, sometimes sixteenfold, to be honest with you. But it's only what is that, what is that core strength? What is your jig-chong joy? What is your straight blast? that when it comes down to if you have to employ it, you can be great at it. I love it. The, the two things I believe.
0: So you, uh, you've seamlessly segued into my next and probably second to last question for you. And that's if people think that they might be good for, for you, what is the best way for them to connect and reach you?
1: I think they should reach out to you.
2: Mm.
0: Cool. You
1: know, say, hey, man, I want to talk to Marks, you know, set it up. So George two reasons. A, you can find out who your audience, you know, who raised their hands and is interested. And B, this way, you can control the flow. You know, you can send them to me in whatever the case may be. And then I'll talk to anybody. I mean, you know this. I, I, I have, my time is my own. I've, yes, I've got a ton of things to do. I've got a ton of clients, all this kind of fun stuff. But I, if I showed you my life, you'd be like, there's no fucking way you make this much money doing this little. I have to, I have to eat my own dog food. And, there, and part of the trick is, is a system I've set up that allows me to have a ton of information come in, but it funnels at the right way, at the right pace for me. Hmm. So I'll talk to anybody about anything because I believe, you know, I grew up as a poor Hispanic kid. Right. You know, when I went to the States, we had no money kind of stuff. And I didn't have a father, love my dad, but he didn't come along. He stayed in South America. So I've always looked for father figures and I've had a few mentors in my life. Guys like Steven Heller, Camp Frazier, and a few other individuals. Uh, those are both deceased, unfortunately, you know, uh, Peter Daniels, I mean, a of who's still alive and then I read a lot of books. And, and throughout my life, some of those guys had such a big impact in my life that it really changed the course of where I was headed. And, and so I've always said, I'm always going to give back that. So if I talk to somebody and maybe they don't sign up or they're not a fit, whatever it is to be, but we, that conversation changes their trajectory, it's good karma, mm-hmm. right? It, it's it's going, the point hills so that we talked about earlier, doing the extra mile, you know? And so I'll talk to anybody. Now, if, you know, if after the 30-minute conversation, I decide you're not worth it, I won't ever talk to you ever again, right? But, but I'm happy to have the first chat. So reach out to you, send it to me, and I'll talk to anybody. And if they... I want to emphasize this. If they were like I was, scared, but there's a little bit of tiny glimmer inside that you're meant for more than this, you're probably two or three moves away from either greatness or disaster. Now is the time to do something. Mm -hmm. Whether me or not, doesn't matter. It's just now it's time to do something.
0: Love that. Most unique answer to that question ever. Um, Thank you for that. And I guess we'll see how we do on, on this last planned one for you. I often ask just because um, I'm, I'm always surprised, but if you could go back in time, 10, 15, 20, 25 years in the past and give the earlier version of yourself, any piece of advice, what would that advice be?
1: Sell your company before you destroy it.
0: Nice. Very practical,
1: very practical advice, you know, <laughs> move to California, move to Texas, you know, um, it's tough because I wouldn't be where I am today, obviously, if that hadn't happened. Um, actually, you know what? I I I think I would do a do-over. I think I would go back and tell myself it's gonna be okay. Mm. You're gonna be okay. Not gonna be easy. You're gonna struggle, but you're gonna be okay. Have faith, and not faith in the Lord. Although you can, if you want, it's up to you, right? I mean, you know, either way is okay. But faith that if you do the right things, things work out right, and and faith gives us that, ah, that mm-hmm. peace of mind that, yeah, you know, it's it's the lack of faith that causes stress, right? So like like this podcast, right? I, you know, you said, what can I do? You said, I, I, I just want to give a good podcast so whatever happens, happens. I have faith that this is something I'm supposed to do. I don't know why. I don't know, nor do I really want to question why. It just is. and And I approach my life as much as I can that way, which gives me, Confidence and peace of mind, and I think what you considered, uh, you called sort of this not caring attitude, right? It's less not caring. It's not being indifferent. It's being faithful and confident. Mm-hmm. If you don't like me, sorry. Like you know, I I, I wish you liked me, but it, it it lasts two seconds in my mind because I didn't do anything wrong. You did It's like you know, like you have nothing. You may not like me because I you know talk loud. I cry, I don't. Who gives a shit, right? That's on you, not on me right that's a very different level of business and attracting than that commission breath or that fear right it's it, it's 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 a better place to be in you know it's like you got to pay bills that's okay be confident and faithful now don't sit in your ass and go it's going to show up that's not it doesn't work like that right you got to go do something obviously right. to generate income but but it's that 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 faith and almost everybody which is why the saga is so important well, somebody I've ever coached or still coach and clients, because it's, you know, and they all come from referrals, but most of my clients all come from referrals because it's easy. Dude, I've got this great guy. Oh my God. You know, it, it, when somebody tells you that, it's not just, they're like, oh, I know Johnny. Johnny said to go, you know, Tony said to go to this guy. Oh, yeah, we got go to this guy. Right? So it's easy for getting to get clients that way. But if you look at all the successful people, the biographies you've read or anything you've had, people you know, there's always something that kept them faithful, even in their darkest, most Despaired moments. They took action because they believed it was going to work. Elon Musk, you know, working all the, guys that, the hours that God sent them, this whole stupid electric car thing, you know. Thomas said, you can go down the list of all these components. They just knew it was going to work.
0: You know, I bet there's a lot of key things that were said in this interview that's going to help people. But I also have an even stronger feeling that this last question and answer that you just gave is going to hit the right person or the right people in the right way that they needed it. And that in and of itself alone might be why you're on this conversation. I think there's certain people that need to hear that. I'm going to steal five more minutes with you off camera. Sure. But before that, uh, Marks, I just wanted to say thank you for coming on. Thank you for sharing this perspective. Thank you for being you. And thank you for, you know, whether you're doing it for yourself or others, just thank you for the work that you're doing right now because uh, I'm floored by it, which again, was, was, I was so excited to have you on. And, uh, to blow, uh, we'll call it blow and smoke. I'm honored that you were going to come on this podcast and share this insight because I think this is brilliant and I think it needs to be heard. So thank you for, for being here today.
1: Well, thanks for having me. I hope somebody got value out of it and that makes the whole hour worth our while.
0: Thank you again, Marks. That was awesome. Uh, what can I say guys, um, take my advice and listen to this again and glean whatever insights you can from this man. Cause he really does know his stuff. Um, with that said, if you enjoyed this episode but you haven't done so already, pull out that phone, hit that subscribe button, leave a quick, honest, written review while you're at it. And a quick final reminder, if you haven't checked out my book, The Last Law of Attraction Book You'll Ever Need to Read, you can go to lastlawofattractionbook.com to hit up the Amazon listing. Or you can just go to youtube.com slash cap and get some free content there. With that said, that's all I've got for you today, but we'll be back soon with another awesome guest. So stay tuned. I will see you next time thank you for listening to shatter the mold at www.shatterthemoldpodcast.com my name is andrew s kaplan my name is andrew s kaplan and it's time to shatter the mold